to take a quick moment and for us as a body just to thank John Seibert for filling in the last three weeks here in the pulpit. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> this is your first Sunday here the last couple of weeks. John has been preaching the last two and this is his last week with us, but it has been such a blessing that I can speak for all of us on leadership uh, just to have a consistent voice the last three weeks. And it's been a privilege hearing from you and your passion for the word. And we just thank you for the blessing you've been to Riverside. So give John your attention this morning. Thanks, John. Thank you. It's always a joy and a privilege for me to be with this congregation. And so thankful for you, these brothers and sisters in Christ and the long association that both I and my family have had with you. It's been a gift. Uh, being here this morning was a special gift in that on my way for the 830 sound check, I had a flat tire. Thankfully, this was the one week that um, my wife decided to come for the early service, and so she was just a few minutes behind me and was able to uh, course correct to come pick me up and get me here by about 10 minutes till 9 and was able to, to preach the early service. As soon as I told the early service that I had a flat tire, Frank Stepp stands up, walks over to my wife. Next thing I know, he's getting the key to my car from my wife, and he and another guy head off to take care of my flat tire, and now my car's here in the church parking lot. So um, he's on my list, and you're going to understand more what list I'm talking about here in just a minute. One of the most revered preachers and teachers of preaching when I was in school was a man named Dr. Fred Craddock. He came to ACU once, and I was asked as a grad student to be his driver. And thankfully that week, I did not have a flat tire as I drove Dr. Craddock around Abilene to his various events. He was a small, grandfatherly-looking, sweet-voiced, gentle, kind of southern gentleman type. Uh, he had preached in churches throughout Oklahoma and in the southeast, he taught at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University. And then once he retired from teaching, he moved up into the mountains of North Carolina and preached at a church there. I still go back and listen to some of Craddock's sermons and read some of his sermons because they're some of the most impactful of my life. And one of my favorite Fred Craddock sermons is one called When the Roll is called down here. And one of the things that's fascinating about this sermon is it's, it's focused on one of the most boring texts you could ever preach. Romans chapter 16. I'm not even going to read it. I can't bring myself to read it to you because you might fall asleep. You know, those of you who do Bible reading, if you're trying to read through the Bible, when you get to those long lists of names... A bunch of us cheat, don't we? I'll just move to the end of the names and keep going. So there's probably more than one person in this room that's read Romans all the way through, well, at least all the way through chapter 15, and then just decided to call it good when you got to this passage, because it's greet this person and greet that person and greet those people. Even Craddock himself said, it's funny that I'm preaching from this text because I tell my preaching students, don't ever preach the lists. The lists are deadly. 
But he says, I'm going to preach Romans 16 because it's not a list. We can't call it a list. Because for Paul, it is so much more than that. You see, he's, he's packing up his things in the home of Gaius, who hosts the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth meets at Gaius's house. And Gaius has been the host that is hosting Paul for a while. Paul's been staying with him, but is now ready to go to Italy, to Rome, then to Spain. He's probably around 59, 60 years old. He's aging, but thinks, I've got one more good ministry in me. And so he's headed to preach the gospel in Spain. And so as he's packing up his things, getting ready to move again, getting ready for this last ministry, you can just kind of see him coming across this memorabilia that reminds him of all these people that he's known. He's calling the role of these men and women that mean so much to him. Aquila and Priscilla, boy, they risked their necks for me. Andronicus and Junius, we were in jail together. They stood strong with me. Oh, Mary, there's Mary. Mary was a hard worker. She was there when everybody else quit. She was the last one, always in the church parking lot. Paul, you go on home. I'll put up the hymnals. I'll collect all the used bulletins. You go on home and rest. You've got to be tired. Well, but Mary, you've got to be tired too. But no, Paul, Paul, you've got to get on a donkey and ride across Asia tomorrow. You go home and rest. I'll take care of this. Epinetus, the first person converted under Paul's preaching. You can just hear Paul thinking, man, I didn't sleep a wink that night. Finally, someone heard the good news and responded. Trophina and Trophosa sound like twins, don't they? Always sat on the right. Both wore blue every Sunday. Couldn't tell them apart except one of them had a mole on her right cheek. I can't remember if that was Trophina or Trophosa, but one of them has the mole. Tell Rufus hello. Tell his mother hello because she's my mother too. You can imagine someone that, that Paul would refer to as mother being someone that probably had a trusty apron that she wore a lot. Now, Paul, you sit down right here. You're not going anywhere till you get a good breakfast. Tell my mother. Hello. See, this isn't just a list of names. It's 
way more than a boring list. Paul is calling the role of all these special people that he's done life with. People who have been instruments of the grace and love of Jesus to him. And when he says, tell them hello, what he really means is tell them this may be goodbye. He's going to Rome, but before he goes to Rome, he's going to stop in Jerusalem into a very hostile, intense situation. And he's hoping that as he takes a collection from the Gentile churches to the Christians in Jerusalem, that they will receive the gift and that they will welcome him with hospitality, but he's not sure. He knows he's going to be in danger and that this trip may even cost him his very life. So he remembers all these people that he loves and his hello may be a final goodbye. In Craddock's sermon, he tells a story about when he was a young minister. He was preaching at a church in the Chattanooga area. And the way that church did baptisms is that every so many months, they'd go down to Watts Bar Lake and they would have a baptismal sermon. And everybody that had said they wanted to be baptized would come and be immersed in the lake. Glenn Hickey would convene everyone at the spot on the lake and he would start the bonfire. And, and once all the baptisms happened, all the newly baptized would gather around the fire to dry off and warm up. And the church would gather around them in a circle. And one by one, they would introduce themselves. I'm Dr. Johnson. I'm the pediatrician in town. Your kids ever get sick, you call me. I'm Lois, I'm a seamstress. You ever have anything that needs to be hemmed? You ever get a snag in anything? You call me. My name's Clyde, I run the body shop, the auto shop. You got anything wrong with your car? You call me. One after the other, after the other. My name is, if you need somebody to iron clothes, do laundry, you call me. My name is, you need someone to chop wood, you call me. My name is, if you need a babysitter, you call me. My name is, I'm a handyman. You ever need a repair done at your house, you call me. And around the circle it went. And then they would eat together and end the night with a square dance. And then Percy Miller was always the one that would say, folks, it's time to go. And he'd start to put out the fire and take care of all the ashes and the hot coals and Craddock says he wouldn't even look up at me, but he would just say, 
Craddock, people don't ever get any closer than this. And then he looked up at me and he said, you know, around here we got a word for this. We call it church. Your homework assignment is to write down these words. I thank my God for all my remembrance of you. And then write a name. I thank my God for all my remembrance of you. And then write another name. And another name. And another name. You see, it's not a list. Like Paul, you're calling the role of God's saints who are down here. On my list would be people like Edwin Rasco. He was an elder at the church where I grew up as a kid. Our church was a church plant back in the 1950s. And he was one of the young couples that went to plant the church on that side of town. And so he became an elder at the ripe old age of 29. Because a baby church had baby elders. And by the time my family was there, he was in his 60s. And he had been an elder that entire time. He was a respected banker in town. He was one of our song leaders. He would always come up to me and say, let me count your ribs and tickle me. And he was the beacon, the light of virtue for our church. That stabilizing force of spiritual goodness and kindness, all the fruits of God's spirit. From the time he was 29 years old and an elder until I knew him had become this source of wisdom and mentoring for generation after generation of other baby elders and baby song leaders and baby preachers like my dad was when he went there. Edwin Rasco would be on my list. So would Gene and Marion Branham. When I was growing up as a kid in Tyler, my dad had been diagnosed before I was even born with an eye disease. He had a rare form of macular degeneration, a degenerative eye disease where he became legally blind eventually. And so as he was trying to work through and cope with this eye disease, he and my mom would have to go down to Houston a couple times a year to a specialist. And that was always a fun time for my little brother and me because we got to stay at Gene and Marion's house. Gene taught me to put peanut butter on my pancakes. And Marion was a lifelong educator. And she would tell me how smart I was and encourage me and believe in me. And they were like surrogate grandparents that nurtured us and loved us, my brother and me. 
Years later, my family moved to Abilene so that my dad could teach at Abilene Christian and train ministers. And my senior year of high school, on my 18th birthday, my high school basketball team, we were playing our crosstown rival. And Moody Coliseum on ACU's campus was sold out, standing room only for this crosstown rivalry between the top two teams in our district that year. And Gene drove over from Tyler for my 18th birthday and to cheer me on. And he got to see me get in a fist fight with three guys from the other team. <laughs> and he elbowed my mom and said, just like his mother, isn't he? <laughs> Gene and Marion are on my list. Another couple that's on my list, maybe on yours too, Drew and Carolyn McBride. When Sarah and I had our first child, Katie, we lived in Arlington. And Katie was diagnosed at about four months of age with a rare seizure disorder. And so by the time she was nine months old, she had to have brain surgery to take out the seizure focus, that part of brain. She was the first child at Cook Children's to have that surgery. So she became a poster child. She was on the billboards. She was on the magazine. It's not how you want your baby to become a celebrity. And we had gone through her health ordeals and in the, in the midst of her surgery, I was interviewing to become the preacher at the Richardson East Church because there's no better time for a ministry transition than when your child's having major brain surgery. Life just kind of all converged at one time. And I became the preacher at Richardson East. And Drew and Carolyn were one of my elder couples. And so when Sarah got pregnant again with our son David, Sarah was still really freaked out by everything we had gone through with Katie. And even though we had moved over to Dallas County, she wanted to stick with her doctor in Fort Worth. And so when David was born, he was born in downtown Fort Worth at Harris Methodist. That's not a convenient little drop-by trip for our new church family. When David came out of the womb, he was not happy at the change in temperature. And he just, to the point that he didn't breathe real well because he was crying so hard. And the nurse goes, well, he's not up to my standards. And they take him to the neonatal ICU for observation. Turns out he was fine. We would see that temper throughout the rest of his life. You never have to guess what David's feeling. But for young parents who had gone through what we had gone through with Katie, him not being up to her standards and being taken off to the ICU terrified us. And we immediately went to worst case scenario and our worst fears, oh God, did this happen again? And as we're wrestling with that fear and anxiety, who comes off the elevator but Drew and Carolyn McBride? They just happened to be in the neighborhood. 
an hour away from their house. And I'll never forget that. Because it was through them that God said, you are not alone. I am with you. And for the rest of David's young life, as daddy preached, David didn't really want to listen to that. Well, he could nestle up into Uncle Drew's arms and nestle his head right on Uncle Drew's shoulder and he could cash out and have some sweet dreams while I preached. And as he got a little older and had a little more personality, it was the perfect perch to look back at the women on the rows behind him and entertain them. To the point that there's a legendary story about David, the preacher's kid, living up to that mantra by taking a crayon and smoking it (laughs) for all the pews behind him. My kids had Uncle Drew and Aunt Carolyn. When Katie got potty trained, Uncle Carolyn took her to pick out her first big girl panties. And then when David got potty trained, Aunt Carolyn takes David for his big boy underwear. And who knows how many kids have had that rite of passage with Aunt Carolyn. Or how many kids sat in Santa Claus, Uncle Drew's lap They're on my list. Today, Frank Stepp's probably on my list. (laughs) What a servant's heart. You see, it's not a list. It's calling the roll when the saints are called down here. Let's stand together and I'll tell you one last story from Craddock's sermon. The way he ends his sermon is he says, no matter where you go or what you do, no matter what you toss out, don't ever toss out that list. Take it with you. Because it's even something you can take with you to the gates of heaven. He says, St. Peter will be there to meet you. And will ask, what's that in your hand? Oh, this, it's it's just a list. A a list of what? It's, it's, It's a list of names. What kind of names? You know, just a list of names of people that loved me and showed me grace and served me and cared for me. And Peter will say, let me see that list. Oh, yeah, I know these names. I've seen these people today. I've passed them on my way here. They were all working on a sign, painting a sign just for you. And it says, welcome home.